when to pivot, and when to parry. In modern lexicon, his skills and learning might be best understood as a professional athlete, say an NFL quarterback, who consistently delivers something beyond the playbook, whose instincts and on-the-field presence carry the team beyond the coach. But to carry the analogy forward, most of his opponents were not even in the same league. They hadn't been schooled and hardened in the incessant conflict of Greece, they hadn't been coached and tutored by the best, and they hadn't been seasoned by so much leadership and responsibility from an early age. At West Point, we studied his lessons tactically. All the principles of war that we study date back to Alexander. The principles of the objective, mass, maneuver, the offensive, economy of force, security, surprise, and simplicity. He used maneuvers to break up the enemy's plans and to seize and maintain the initiative. He was active. He imposed his plans on the enemy. He was adaptable and relentless in pursuing decisive tactical advantage. In battle after battle, open battlefield, siege, and pursuit as Alexander marched through Asia, feats wonderfully described by Yeni, these principles shine through. His legacy has thus formed the basis for over 2,000 years of Western military thought. No less remarkable were Alexander's strategy, logistics, and communications. He kept his army focused on long-range objectives. He periodically halted, refreshed, and reorganized. He maintained contact with the reaches of his far-flung and growing empire by courier. His battles flowed into campaigns, his campaigns into seasons, and the seasons into more than a decade of systematic conquest. He didn't overcommit outrun his logistics, or collapse back on his line of communications, all of which are signs of strategic error. Equally remarkable was his diplomacy and governance. He rewarded friends, formed governing structures, and created loyalties even among those whom he defeated and who were of widely diverse cultures. He did everything but establish succession, but then he hardly expected to die of disease at the age of thirty-three either. Today our battlefields are too lethal and the scales too vast for the kind of upfront tactical leadership by the highest level commanders. Gunpowder, rifled weaponry, the machine gun, and artillery all increased the lethal zone. Today, High-powered optics, electronic intelligence collection and synthesis, satellites, aircraft, and missiles have further extended the battlefield. What can be seen can be hit, and what can be hit can be killed. This is the mantra of modern precision weaponry. Command is exercised electronically even in real time. Top commanders seldom face their opponents physically and in person, and rarely smell the fear of the impending clash of arms. Still, the legacy of Alexander endures to inform and will inspire generations to come. He did it all without defeat. He was in the cockpit of command earlier, longer, at greater personal risk, and more successfully than any who have followed. May he be studied for the right purpose and the lessons used for the right aims. This is what we must hope and strive to ensure. General Wesley K. Clark
retired. Prologue Around midnight on the last day of September in 331 BC, on a mountain somewhere east of the modern Iraqi city of Mosul, a group of Macedonian officers took a walk. They went to the edge of a cliff to look out at the vast encampment of their enemy at a place called Gagamila. What they saw made their blood run cold. Writes Lucius Mestrius Plutarchus, better known as Plutarch, circa A.D. 46-120, in his Lives of Noble Greeks and Romans, when they saw the plain between the Nephates and the Guardian Mountains all lighted up with the barbarian fires, while an indistinguishably mingled and tumultuous sound of voices arose from their camp as if from a vast ocean, they were astonished at their multitude.